This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Christmas to all of you out there from everyone here at Friends Talking Nerdy. This is the podcast making public transit taking kiss dealing wheeling dealing son of a gun Tim the nerd welcoming you to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. Thank you all for tuning in. We are part of the Deluxe Edition Network. Head to deluxeeditionnetwork.com to find out more information about all of the lovely shows on the den. Sitting next to me with a computer table in her lap, holding our microphone in a unique recording situation here at the Friends Talking Nerdy Studios. We have the greatest legal mind in the Pacific Northwest, Professor Aubrey. How you doing? Um, I just have a couple words to say. Mm-hmm. Ho, ho, and ho, Tim. There you go. That's right. Merry Christmas. Yes, happy holidays to all you people out there listening to us today. Uh, Today we are going to be coming at you with just a couple of topics. We want to be able to respect your time, being that this episode is going to drop on Christmas Day. Um, A number of you out there will probably have uh, family gatherings and whatnot happening. So You're not going to be able to interrupt everything you're doing to listen. To our lovely voices, yes. To our amazing podcast we've made it a little bit shorter than usual i mean famous last words we don't i mean we we don't script this out folks if you haven't guessed that already so with the way we talk at times um this may be a three-hour episode for all we know but um but again our 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 point this week is that uh we had um we just wanted to make sure to have a couple of topics and i think they're both going to have uh some meat on the bone to get some interesting conversation out don't you think oh absolutely i think we should be mindful of the time. Exactly. Because it's so it's going to be so interesting what we're talking about. Exactly. 100%. But yeah. shall I start story time? Please do start with the story time. Okay. We're going to talk about a gentleman by the name of Eric Monte. Now, you, I, I was, I, initially I was going to say, oh, do you know who Eric Monte is? But of course you do. We've been, we did a little research building up to this episode. So pretending I'm talking to you, dear listener at home, do you know who Eric Montes is? No, I don't, Jane. Okay, so here I am continuing my story. He <laughs> was born in the Cabrini Green Projects oh, in Chicago. Cabrini, Cabrini Green. Yep. Notorious. Yes, yes. But um, they kind of pertains to this story here as well um so i'll I'll keep going instead of rambling on anyway (laughs) we edit here folks so eric monte born in chicago had dreams of working in television as a writer and you know through luck and determination especially for somebody that didn't have a high school diploma he made his way to Los Angeles and uh, became a playwright and ended up writing a play that was 
pretty popular in the local Los Angeles area to the point that an actor by the name of Mike Evans saw it, was impressed, and upon meeting Eric Monte, felt that Eric Monte could help him out with a character that he was playing on a television show he was cast on. What he did is he hired Eric Monte to write a spec script for him to kind of flesh out his character, give him more of a backstory, and then he would, um, you know, present that spec script to the producer of that show. So Eric Monte wrote that script. It was presented to the producer in question, who was Mr. Norman Lear. Eric Monte was hired to write for All in the Family. The reason we uh, are going to start our story here, folks, is because television legend Norman Lear passed away the other day at 101. Whether you are a fan of his work on television or not, his work on television has impacted you. And he was a big enough figure in entertainment that I felt it was important to talk about uh, the good he did in his career because he did do a lot of good, um, you know, uh, you know, just objectively good stuff during his career that, that we should talk about. But he's human. Believe it or not, humans can be scumbags sometimes, even the, even the ones that do some really, really great things. And we want to talk about a story that, you know, I had become aware of within the past couple of years. Uh, other people uh, had known about it a little bit longer, but uh, it involves Mr. Eric Monte. Okay. Yeah, but like I said, I thought it would be good if we started off kind of on a positive route. And yeah, like positive-wise... His shows, Norman Lear's, even though there had been TV shows before that tackled, you know, controversial topics, you know, quote unquote, the types of topics that the average person wants to pretend aren't real, you know, um, he, Norman Lear took them head on and it was one of the first people to do it in an honest and realistic way. What do you think? I agree. I really like Norman Lear's work. They are, I remember being riveted by these television shows, all of these television shows. Mm -hmm. They were riveting to me, especially Good Times. I was just fascinated. It was something that was so outside of my, I grew up in a small town in the South. Mm -hmm. And so it was completely different world, but people experiencing the same kinds of things in their lives, same kinds of relationships, the same kinds of conflicts and resolutions i just it felt like they were so rich there was so much compelling there so much meat on the bone yeah i mean it's not that every episode of all in the family or the jeffersons or good times or modern or anything like that it's not that every single episode dealt with the controversial topic a lot of times there were just your average regular sitcom joke episodes but the fact that yeah they were not afraid to tackle important stuff at a time when you know we had a president didn't want people to talk about that type of stuff because he wanted them to stay in his silent majority you know um you know the fact that you know that that all that Norman Lear shows, you know, were able to talk so openly about stuff like homosexuality, about um, you know, abortion, like Maud, 
had an abortion mm-hmm. on her show. I believe that was the first instance of a character on American television having an abortion. And there were a number of, to- again, they, the number of racial topics that, that you know, they, they discussed, like Archie Bunker, notorious for putting his foot in his mouth about race a lot. But on the flip side, he would always be called out on it. Now, do you think his shows may have caused some harm. Sure. I think everything has the potential to cause harm. It doesn't seem to me that he intentionally caused harm. And I don't know. He didn't cause harm to me. And that's maybe all I can speak to. And the reason I bring this question up is that, you know, he himself is very open about understanding the importance of how, you know, quote-unquote controversial subject matters can affect people and how the power of the media can change things. I mean, we were watching a documentary uh, before we started to where um, they talked about his, uh, he has a, a, a center called the Norman Lear Center. And essentially what they are is an independent research group that television writers will, will hire. Um, like they had a, an example from Grey's Anatomy and they wanted to do an episode about the importance of organ donations. And so Norman Lear's group um, was able to get that um, medically correct information to them and they were able to put it out in the episode but plus what the Norman Lear Center does is they do studies after the fact to show um, whether the, you know, the intended impact, you know, made it or not. And in the case of uh, Grey's Anatomy, when they had the organ donation episode, uh, numbers of uh, organ donations actually went up, mm-hmm. you know, so it's. I, I think the fact that, you know, he was one of the first people to successfully caused television because television up to, you know, the point of all in the family was light comedy. Yeah. It was, you know, comedy at its most base, comedy at its most simple. The reason all in the family came around was that CBS, um, you know, they had some popular shows, but they wanted to make this was also at the time to where networks started kind of veering away from overall numbers and started worrying more about demographics. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you have a network that had um, televisions like the Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, and Hee Haw, they didn't see numbers in, in those audiences, even though the numbers showed that a lot of people watch those shows. I mean, in terms of, you know, repeats, Beverly Hillbillies is still on the air. Um, Hee Haw went into syndication, first run syndication after being dumped by uh, CBS in 1971. And they didn't go off to the air until the early nineties, I believe. Yeah. So it's not that they weren't popular. It's just more money in urban stuff, I guess, you know, which is another form of segregation. Yeah, exactly. More money in urban stuff. I guess there are more people in urban environments. That That's the one positive I was going to say that, yeah, I mean, if you have a, a place like New York City compared to Duluth, Minnesota, there's going to be a lot more money in New York City, even if a majority of the people are still making just as much as the folks in Duluth. That's exactly right. Yeah. People are no better and no different. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the I... I I, I think the impact of those shows has been felt in a lot of good ways over the years. In a lot of bad ways, too. I do think a lot of creators tend to s- 
see what he did was able to accomplish on that show and became a little heavy handed. A lot of, you know, what I don't like are, you know, like episodes of TV shows that end up being sermons for something, right? you know, which is not, it's just not good writing more than anything. You know, it's like that, it's like the, when I mentioned, uh, from the Dr. Who special with, uh, the, the little 28 second scene about uh, asking about pronouns, asking about pronouns. Yeah. I mean, just if in the wrong hands, I swear to you, that would have been like a 20 minute explanation about why that was the right thing to do, but just writing it as if it happens in real life, you're going to get people to react to, to that stuff, uh, you know, more often than not positively. You're not going to win over everybody. There are going to be people that are, that are going to hate it no matter what, right? Yeah, I mean, you can't satisfy everyone, so you really shouldn't try to satisfy everyone. But I, I think, too, as an artist, though, it, it any artist should do what they can to... If they are trying to make an important piece and not like comedy, like comedy, you know, doing a Three Stooges sketch is, you know, different than, you know, putting Citizen Kane together. You know, um, yeah. if you are trying to make a point, you know, just be reflective about the point you're trying to make. I mean, you can go, there, there have been plenty of examples over the years of ways you can go really, really, really dark. But as long as you're not punching down in your comedy and you're punching up, I think, pe you know, people will flat those results yeah i mean people have chosen good shows to keep running year after year right simpsons yeah. simpsons and simpsons and south park family guy you know there are plenty of shows that i mean how many um what episode 34 34 years of the simpsons of the simpsons 34 years of the simpsons that's yeah i mean i was in middle school when that came out that was the one I, I was cool for one day in middle school thanks to the simpsons i was the first kid in school to have a simpsons uh t-shirt of some sort that is so cool yeah you were so cool for one day <laughs> but oh my god mimsy just came into the room folks and uh just immediately slid and um smacked annie in the face and started licking her Usually what happens when we record is that they do like to go nuts. Yeah, they do. They know that we're trying to do something because we're speaking in a different way than we usually do. Yes, more more business like. Yeah. Business like. Anyway, like I mentioned at the start, wanted to you know, I felt because of his importance, I didn't want to you know, when we talk about the bad, I didn't want to come across like, you know, I'm punching a guy when he's down. Mm -hmm. You know, I because I in what Bill Clinton said for uh, you know Richard Nixon's funeral makes a lot of sense. You know, a person should not be judged by their actions; they should be ba judged based on the summation of their entire life. You know, because nobody is all good, nobody is all bad. Yeah, and wow, how powerful coming from Bill Clinton! Uh, yeah, <laughs> like to have to get to that level of peace with something that you can talk about it at at um, Richard Nixon's funeral of all things I mean that's that's how we used to roll in the 90s folks but uh, 
need to talk. We need to bring up the bad, and um, we'll go back to Mr. Eric Monte. This is a story that I became aware about about a year or so ago, thanks to Dara Star Tucker. Um, she's a jazz singer, but um, she also has a very popular TikTok page and a, a podcast. Um, where, where she will talk about, um, you know, a, a number of topics, but, you know, basically a, a lot of the focus is on like, a African-American topics, uh, throughout the years, but I really, really love her work. Um, and one reason is because she is able to bring up stories like this because, you know, going back to Mr. Monte, he was hired and he wrote a script that ended up giving us George and Louise Jefferson. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, because of the nature of television, um, because, because Norman Lear, his production company was called Tandem Productions. Mm -hmm. And, um, what will commonly happen is that you will have one company that is responsible for multiple shows. And, you know, in, in this particular case, you know, B. Arthur, for instance, became a popular guest star on All in a Family. And she was so popular that they gave her her own show, Maud. And one of the characters on that show, uh, was Maud's uh, housekeeper, Florida Evans, played by Esther Roll. And this was another case to where one of the side characters became really popular. And so they uh, spun off Esther Roll's character, Florida Evans, into her own show, Good Times, which was created by Eric Monte. The show Good Times is set at the Cabrini Green Projects in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So uh, the entire story was there. And um, I was, you know, watching some documentaries about this. And when Esther Roll got the job, she made sure she insisted that she would only take this role if she had a husband as a partner in, in that story. That this was a story about an African-American family in the United States that had a mother and father that were loving and cared for their children. Yes. And Norman Lear didn't want that. Oh. Yeah, which started causing problems pretty much right away. It is not what I have been able to determine from the research that I've got is that Norman Lear wanted to tackle controversial issues in his comedy. And what he didn't, in my opinion, what he did not take into account on the set of Good Times was the just how the perception of a, a black nuclear family on television how just that alone would be something positive in and something that you know should be celebrated and, and not torn apart he didn't get that because he wanted to talk tackle important topics and that's fine and all but you gotta have everybody on board yeah i mean you can't i mean this is why you have to be really successful in some kind of work because even if you are really successful in some kind of work it's so hard to get credit for all that you spawn speaking of credit eric monte because of the argument on set um john amos ended up uh, either quitting or getting fired as well as esther Wool. you know ended up leaving the show so eric monte decided to leave and he ended up finding a job writing a script for a movie called Cooley High. Are you familiar with that? I am. I just became aware of this because of finding out about Eric Monte. But this was the origin of um, that Boys to Men song, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. That, that was a cover. I didn't realize that was a cover. Oh, yeah. So that song came from it. But 
Eric Montave discovered something when he was uh, working on Cooley High. He found out that Norman Lear, his old boss, created a new TV show. That show was The Jeffersons. Mm. Eric Monte was not credited as the creator of the characters Uh of George and Louise. Big problem there. Sure. You know, um, now, as a comic book fan, this is some things that sadly you kind of hear about story-wise throughout the entirety of comic books. You know, like if you are hired by Marvel Comics and you create a character, Marvel owns that character. And if you understand that going in, that's that's great and all, but, you know, not giving credit to, you know, it, it's... Shit. Well, and and I think we in our society we value things by by putting a monetary value on them, right? And so things that are more important are more expensive. This is one theory of how capitalism should work in its ideal state. So I think people want there to be recognition and fame and fortune. For people who make really good television and really good movies, and that they once they have that one big breakthrough, they sh- they should be able to more be the author of their own things, so they they become producers themselves and have more control. And Eric Monte agreed with you. So in the late seventies, he uh, went to court. And sued Norman Lear, sued uh, Norman Lear's production partner, Bud Yorkin, um, because the Cooley High movie ended up becoming a TV show you may have heard of called What's Happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that was produced by a different company, but Bud Yorkin was the head of that company. And that's a whole complicated mess there uh, as well. But Eric Monte ended up suing, and at the end of the day, um, he ended up settling for a million dollars, but by going ahead and doing the lawsuit, he got himself blacklisted in the community and ended up only writing a couple more television sh- uh, scripts for TV shows in the nineties. Yeah. So his career was effectively over. And while I think there is an argument here to say that Norman Lear would have probably reacted in the same way if Eric Monte were white. The fact that, you know, one, Norman Lear has never really come out and commented on this. You know, I it's, it's like, you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't, I guess. Maybe, you know, maybe he did the right thing by not saying anything. I don't know. But this just, I, you know, I think Eric, Mon- Eric Monte deserve credit for what he created does that mean you know he should have absolute rights to absolutely everything maybe not because again he created new characters in an already established universe they weren't his own original characters if you know what i mean well yeah it was the existing universe that had been created by norman lear Mm -hmm. in which eric created the characters of the jeffersons of the jeffersons Yes, so it's it's a complicated matter, and because Eric Monte was black, because you know black representation on TV at that time was so scarce, so that any time that you did have something positive, people wanted it done absolutely right. 
you know, it's like, it seems like Norman Lear never took that into account when going after Mr. Monte. It seems like all he thought of was you were working on my project and now you want credit, mm -hmm. which is just like a wrong way of thinking about it, you know, cause like Stan Lee was guilty of that, uh, with, you know, his, you know, artists like, uh, you know, Jack Kirby, um, the notorious, uh, Bob Kane, Bill Finger, uh, situation, uh, with Batman where Bill Finger created a majority of the characters you associate with the Batman mythos. But up until 2016, it only said created by Bob Kane. Wow sad sad story and uh, it's it's one of those things too like there's parts of eric monte's story that you can understand if you're looking at it from his point of view but if you look at it from another point of view as well you can maybe think well maybe the boss did have a right you, you know it's it's uh, i'm not trying to say i think mr monte is a liar or anything like that or is making anything up it's just sometimes you know, it's possible to see things through your own own lens, through your own eyes, and not take into account another way of looking at things, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how people get entrenched in their opinions and become fascists. Yeah, fascist jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Do your anti-fascist part. Don't be a jerk. Exactly. Anyway... Long story short, having a hero that is a celebrity is never a good thing. Normally, it was never a hero of mine, but I think it's important if he, if he was a hero to people out there to acknowledge when somebody fucked up and did something stupid. You know, um, I don't think he handled the Eric Monte situation good at all from what I know about it. Now, there may be some more information that I'm not aware of, and if there is, by all means, send it to us. Go to the show description, and you'll be hit our link tree, and you'll be able to find out where to find us online, and we'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to give that information to me, but, yeah. I, you know, I think it's one of those things, too, where you look back, is so clear mm -hmm. that it's appropriation, and even if it was owned by the company, the right thing to do would be to to let him get some credit for what he did. And the right thing would have been too to let the you know the 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 black writers and the black actors tell the story that they felt needed to be told. You know, it's like Norman Lear wanted to tell black stories for white audiences and We've really had enough of that, you know, <laughs> the times it, 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 we need, we, what we needed at that time and what we still need now is minorities being able to tell their own stories because that will, that is going to be the quickest way for people to be able to, you know, walk a mile in another man's shoes for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? I would like to believe that that's possible. It, I mean, it's not going to lead to utopia. I'm not suggesting that. And, I, and and we are talking about entertainment here, folks. You know, as one of the documentaries we watched said, a sitcom will not create world peace. You know, but, you know, like the Archie Bunch Bunker character, they called him like an unconscious bigot. Someone that if you could wake up, wake him up a little bit, would, would be able to say, okay, I, I shouldn't do that. That's stupid. Doesn't glorify that particular type of person, but there are people out there like that. And yeah, I don't know. I think he, I think he did glorify it 
in Archie Bunker because he made it funny to be that way. And, you know, I guess one part of what you're saying is that's what brings people together is this commonality of, oh, that was funny. Funny, but in the case of Archie Bunker, he would consistently be called out on his stupid comments or his stupid actions. And it was, if anything, a, a way for, you know, at least at that time, I don't know how you would execute something like on the family today without people just getting butthurt over it, period. <laughs> but um, it was a way to show the average progressive minded person out there to just not swear everybody off. And I do, I, I do like that message. It's not because there was an episode where they had Archie Bunker befriend a guy that started talking about, you know, some of the same things that he did, some racist, ignorant, stupid stuff. And then come to find out that that guy that Archie met was a member of the KKK. Ugh. And Archie at the end of the day was just like, whoa, 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 no. Mm -hmm. And ended up not joining. He realized that his, you know, ultimately his word, his words made him seem to other people that he would be supportive of their actions and to him, that was not the case. So like, is Archie a perfect character by no means? Uh, but he's not going to join the KKK. So there you go, folks. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he stood at the precipice of the KKK and did not go over the hill. It's like, Keith Richards with drugs, I guess. You know, anytime he gets to the ledge, the ledge just moves, <laughs> moves or something. But Norman Lear, complicated guy, had a great legacy. Also, remember Eric Monte, important guy, um, another one of those uh, black artists that just unfortunately got lost in in history that should be revered much more so than he is. Yeah. All right. How about? And I told you, folks, we'd ramble. <laughs> and such such happy topic on Christmas. Exactly. Exactly. Love it. But on this Christmas Day, what say we take a moment of our time to listen to one of our friends at the Deluxe Edition Network? That sounds great. Let's do that. All right. Sit back, relax, and hear this spot. Bev's Video Kingdom. Because the movies won't talk about themselves. So Andy crawls through this river of shit. He comes out, visits a dozen banks, and no one's like, I'm a little concerned about the guy in the suit. <laughs> right. It smells like shit. You mean, you, mean, you mean the guy that literally washed himself in a river full of shit? And is supposed to suddenly smell good? Dude, that's completely the mall rat stink palm, which takes like three or four days to wash off. <laughs> oh, last time I scratched my ass, it smelled like Bigfoot's dick for a week. <laughs> Bev's Video Kingdom. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I love traditions on Friends Talking Nerdy. Yes. One, they make easy episodes because you know it's going to happen every single year. And um, this time of year is the time that, you know, for the past couple years at least, we've um, made sure to go back and talk about our favorite music of the year. Yeah. 
in the past, we've used Spotify uh, for this list, but this year, um, because I am on the professor's uh, family plan, uh, we're going to be talking about our top artists this year of music we listen to on Apple Music. As we mentioned last week, the reason we are going with top artists is that for the most part, when listening to Apple Music, the professor has list listened to my, um, my master playlist. Uh, so in terms of individual songs, you felt it w was not representative of your overall musical taste that year, but the top artists were. Yes, because here's why. Mm -hmm. A song I may play a million times, but if I have the whole album and I listen to the whole album, I'll only hear each of those songs, say, 500,000 times. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to come up as my top ones. So the ones that came up as my top ones were like, the ones that started with A, right? <laughs> so, like, when I start my car, that's what starts. So, it wasn't really representative, but the artists are. And I like how Apple does it with the artists because they will give give you a top 15. Um, lucky for you at home, we're not going to go through the top 15. Uh, the professor and I will be going over our top five. But the beauty as well is that they tell you how many minutes you've listened to these artists in question. So what the professor and I will do, we're gonna go through our top five list, start with number five and go on down to number one. We'll uh, say the band, we'll say how many minutes we've listened and then just talk about why we like that particular band, any stories we can think of and so on and so forth. Do you have any thoughts you want to relate to our audience before we dive in? No, I think you explained it quite well. Yes, like a professional radio announcer or something. Yes. <laughs> yes, give me on the radio, folks. You know what to do. All right, did you want to start or do you want me to start? Why don't you start? All right, coming in at number five. Um, this is a band I saw in 2002. Uh, this was, and, um, you know, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you could probably guess what it is already, but I'll go on with my introduction here. Um, it was the last event i attended before i met my ex-wife literally my first date with her was the next day so this was like my last day of being single oh <laughs> you know? uh, yeah but um i if you're gonna go out like that then what a way to go out uh, my number five band is the who and this year i've listened to them for a total of 976 minutes hey that's good yeah, I'm a little shocked they're lower on the list, but... Um, I was as well. I would have expected them to be higher on the list. Yeah, at least number three. Yeah. Something like that. In the past, they have been, but... Black Sabbath kind of... Oh. <gasps> Spoiler. Oh my god, I spoiled it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank god there's editing. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I, th th what what can I say about this band? I mean, as far as rock bands from that era go, um, they were one of the most innovative in a lot of ways. I mean, they were. Let I me mean, look at what they did with Tommy uh, in terms of creating a rock opera, doing the apps, you know, taking what the Beatles and the Beach Boys did with uh, Sgt. Pepper and uh, Pet Sounds, and kind of expanding on it and using an album to tell a story. Um, you know, they did work in film um you know the you know the horrible tommy from the 70s you know the only good thing about the tommy movie from the 70s um in my opinion was elton john singing pinball wizard yeah you know yeah 
You know, I remember that from the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was so memorable. It, it was 70s cheese that was fueled by a lot of cocaine. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Eric Clapton, I don't think he was conscious when he was singing. <laughs> uh, and, and, and come on, getting Jack Nicholson to be in a musical and to sing, that took a lot of drugs to get to that point. Yeah, you know, definitely. But I, this is a band that, uh, you know, I, I, I think importance-wise, their importance is dwindling. You know, I compared to like your Stones or your Beatles, I think the days of people getting really excited about the Who again are probably done. Does that mean they're a bad group? Of course not. You know, at, there's peaks and valleys for everything. And I think we're at the point now to where, you know, going forward, band, the people that love that group will be rabid devotees, kind of like, you know, fans of Beethoven or today of Beethoven. Oh, come on. Let's not be comparing the Who to Beethoven. If we could just, only, if we could just refrain. Uh, what I am saying is that you know, like a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, it, you're not going to have a stadium full of people going to see the Who. You're not just like today. You're not going to have a stadium full of people to see a Beethoven performance. But you have the symphony, and people go to it, and they have it in a big theater. You're not going to have stadium tour. You're not going to have <laughs> explosions. You're not going to have like women yeah. showing their boobs. Explosions <laughs> and boobs for it to be valid musical. Yes. For it to be valid musical entertainment, it has to have boobs and explosions, explosions. and a guitar solo and a guitar solo while that's, that's happening. That's good music. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, whatever. It's the Who. Yours number five is the Who. It's my turn now. <laughs> we have to move on, folks. Number five for the professor. It is Punjabi MC. Ooh. Punjabi MC is really awesome Indian uh, hip hop artist, and I really enjoy listening to Indian hip hop. It is. I just think it's really good hip hop music. And, you know, you can appreciate emceeing even in a different language. Uh-huh. Like, you can tell if somebody's flow is on point, even if it's in a different language. Yeah, and you don't, and it's like this. You don't have to be a fan of any artistic endeavor to be able to respect the work of a person, you know, that's doing it. You know, like... I'm not like for in film, I'm not a Tim Burton fan, but for me to say he's bad because I don't like his stuff, it's just stupid. Oh, sure. Sure. Anyway, that's my number five. Any favorite songs? Or does, or is this a situation where their songs are more like mood pieces and you don't think of it like you would like a Pat Benatar song? No, it is definitely songs like that you would think of as. Yeah, not like EDM or anything like that. No, it is not like EDM. Not at all. It is like hip-hop. So imagine Chronic. Mm. That is just in Indian, in Hindi. Chronic? Who's Chronic? God damn it. What's that that album with the Chronic and the Dr. Dre, the Snoop Dogg? Okay, yeah. yeah, 
the chronic is the name of the album dr dre was the that's his album and snoop dogg was one well so i said the name of the album why are you shaming me (laughs) because i I thought you were naming an artist first and i'm like chronic what (laughs) (laughs) no i wasn't i was talking about the album like it's like it's just like a hip hop album. It just happens to be in Hindi. Shut up, you nerd! Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <Like> nerd! <laughs> All right. Any more thoughts? No. Okay. Shall I go on with my number four then? Please do. All right. Number four. This one kind of shocked me. I mean, I could see them being in my top ten, but to have them end up at number four was a bit of a shock. But coming in at number four, uh, for a total of 1,101 minutes, Metallica. And I got to assume, I have to assume that about 750 plus of those minutes is me listening to one. <laughs> you know? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's... I. I remember the first time watching that and just how it builds up really, really slowly. But by the, by the time it gets to that darkness imprisoning me, like I, I, this is like 88. So I'm like 11 or 12 uh, when it's out. But that was my first real introduction to metal. Like, the, like at the, at that particular time, Ozzy was still, you know, if he had videos coming out, um, I mean, he did kind of, come out with the close my ass forever with lita ford but like Mm. um that was a duet that he did from for her album um that wasn't uh you know off of his album or anything like that his videos would show up on like headbangers ball on saturdays oh yeah you know because he was still scary yeah you know super scary he bit this is what i always heard about him is that he bit the heads off bats on stage he did it once on accident. He thought it was a rubber bat that somebody threw on stage. And when he did it and saw that the it was real blood and felt it squirming around, you know, he ended up having to get like a tetanus shot or something like that. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That John Osborne was a wacky guy. Um, but the thing about Metallica, too, if you think about it, and um, this didn't really hit me until I read an article a few months back about music from 91, they were kind of the first band that showed that audiences wanted something different from rock. Because if you think about 91, before Nevermind, there was the Black Album. You know, the Black Album was still very much a metal album, but you had Dentist playing Enter Sandman in their dentist office. You know, and this was kind of like the first wave. Metallica was really the first wave that people wanted something different from rock and roll than, you know, the pop metal stuff you got from like Poison. Yeah. You know, and then once Nirvana hit, it was off to the races at that point. So while I am surprised that Metallica has made it this high, in terms of their importance on me, on my musical knowledge overall period, I mean, you know, they deserve to be up there. You know, I would, they would never be in a top five for me, but as to metal bands, Metallica is one that I enjoy. And, you know, I remember having friends that were boys when I was like a senior in high school mm-hmm. and them being really into Metallica. I think a one came out that year or something. Idiot. and Or, okay, so it was already out. This is like 1989. Yeah, they were still touring big time. And, you know, 89, I think one still may have been being played on MTV at that point. It was 
one of the best team videos ever made, in my opinion. Yeah, it was a really good video. I remember that mm-hmm. for sure. So anyway, I you know I have m- m- respect for Metallica. That's right, and I and the last thing I will say too is that I that uh, these guys are students of music. Um, you know, I think back to their Garage Inc. album uh, that they did back in the two thousands. It was a double disc of uh, covers, and a lot of the covers were from some really obscure bands that ended up making some decent money from the royalties because Metallica covered their songs. Yeah. You know, so all respect to Metallica. Number four on my list. Number four, Lars. Yes. Yes, Lars. I've always wanted to slap him. Yeah. It's only been recently that I that I could see myself tolerating a conversation with him. But every other like growing up, I just wanted to like slap him in the face. He just looks arrogant. <laughs> slap him in the face. Just like I'll slap you. <laughs> slap, 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 I slap you. <laughs> I'm slapping, I'm slapping. I'm here, Lars. I'm here to slap slap. <laughs> anyway. So my number four. How many minutes have you listened to? I have listened to my number four, 504 minutes. Mm. And it is <laughs> LCD sound system. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I listen to the LCD sound system a lot. And guess what kind of music it is? Um, Let me guess. Let me guess. It is... Uh, Electro funk polka. If you leave out the polka, you're you're pretty much right. Um, it is really good. Uh, not, it's dance music. It's DJing dance music. What is that group that did music for the second Tron movie? Oh. Keep talking, I'll find it. Yeah, it's like a drama movie, I don't know. Um, but so LCD Sound System, I really like uh, a couple songs of theirs, and I listen to them a lot. Daft Punk. Oh, Daft Punk, yeah. What about what about Daft Punk? Are they similar? Daft Punk, I would say they're very similar. Yes, okay. very similar, very similar. Only the LCD Sound System has never played at the Trash Fence, as, but... Well, how dare they? Know, they call themselves a band. Never played the trash fans. Fuckers. <laughs> um. Anyway, check them out. I probably not a lot of our listeners have ever listened to them. They're not mainstream. None of mine are mainstream. <laughs> uh, except for one, but <laughs> except for the second, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. one, but that's like a really artistic one. Yeah, it didn't start that way. But turn. Okay, let's get there. We'll get there. All right, shall I go on, to, go on to my number three? Yes, let's hear it. All right, coming in at number three for a total of 1,180 minutes this year, it's Black Sabbath. Iron Man, man. Yeah, this is another band I've seen live. <gasps> Saw them live in 99 at the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit, Michigan. Nice. And uh, Pantera opened for them. Oh, wow. I would have liked to have seen Pantera. Yeah, the lead singer uh, is a douche in all ways, but um, the music, different story altogether. The music doesn't touch upon this guy's stupidity in real life. Um, But Black Sabbath, I mean, what more can be said? I mean, if ever, I mean, they, 
there were plenty of bands before them that were hard, that were forebearers to what metal became. But the first time you heard the Sound of Thunder on the first Black Sabbath album, this band defined it. They created heavy metal. And it all happened because of an industrial incident on Tony Iommi's last day of work at the factory before he was going off to be the guitarist for Jethro Tull. Really? Yep. Ended up, uh, it was like a sheet press or something like that, and it took, uh, he's a left-handed player, so it was on his right hand, um, ended up cutting the tips off of a couple of his fingers off. So he ended up making these custom little uh, finger uh, finger thimble things, uh-huh. and um, he had to detune his guitar, um, but to, to do this, to be able to use them initially, but the detuning of the guitar, um, along with the chords he had to use to adjust with his playing, um, you know, one of his in- influences was Django Reinhardt, who had mm-hmm. uh, similar things, but you know, like the down tuning, the way it did was the key for metal's ultimate sound. The key for metal's ultimate sound. Like it's the key it, that it, is written. It kicked it. <laughs> It kicked it into it, it. It took what the other bands in the past, like the MC5 or Iggy and the Stooges, did, and just made it more sonic, made it more dark, made it more just scary. I guess, mm-hmm. like the first song off the Black Sabbath album called "Black Sabbath" is is ultimately about a guy who's being chased by Satan. Uh-huh. You know, and there were bands at the time that were kind of going dark like that, but just like the imagery, the music, and the fact that they th- got it inspired by a classical music piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's called Vulcan or something like that, but it, they, yeah, I mean, th- these guys are legends and I am glad to say that I saw them, you know, all the reunited original group playing, you know, maybe not in their prime, but they weren't like 80 years old and hobbling around. They were still able to jump around on stage and, you know, do everything they did. So Black Sabbath, number three. You know, I love some Black Sabbath. They have surprised me, even with stuff like the Ronnie James Dio. Now, um, as a kid, I was more of an Aussie person. And Sharon, his manager. Um, and wife. And wife. Uh, you know, had a marketing thing because she didn't want the new version of Black Sabbath to be as successful. And it worked on me. And so I didn't listen to Dio's version of Black Sabbath until he passed away. And then once I heard Neon Nights, I felt like a dumbass. Because you know? mm-hmm. it, it was a lot more faster and intense. And um, Dio's a different type of singer than Ozzy. I'm not going to say better, but just much different. Yeah, very different. You know, and it, yeah. But just overall, you can't go wrong. And yeah, just seeing Tony Iommi play. Man. Yeah, super. I'm glad you got to see them. Yeah. That's wonderful. All right. Who is your number three? Number three is a great band. I'm so excited to introduce all of you to. The Archies. Um, it's, I've listened to them for 672 minutes, and it is a little band called Easy Star All-Stars. Mm. Easy Star All-Stars. And they are a reggae band that reggae-fies classic albums. So I was first exposed to them by listening to their album, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, only reggae. And then I learned that they've done all kinds of different styles of music 
as reggae. And so I just have been fascinated with them. And, you know, it's not even that I like reggae. I'm just fascinated. I love it when people take existing songs and do them in unique and interesting ways. It reminds me of the bluegrass band Hey Seed Dixie. Uh-huh. And they do bluegrass covers of ACDC songs. Right. And there's a bluegrass um, band that does covers of hip-hop songs. Yep. And then... Um, uh, Hell songs out of Sweden uh, in the and I, I, I tried to show you <laughs> in a song of theirs and you were like oh no please stop I guess you've heard uh, them before and you were not a fan but they mm. do acoustic covers of metal songs. Oh yeah, I hate that. Yeah, I mean I don't really like metal songs, so <laughs> it's hard. Acoustically, they just are their weirdness is just laid bare musically. Anyhow, disagree, but in some ways, in some ways, you are right. But we can agree to disagree, right? Yeah. Anyway, check out the Easy Star All Stars; they are worth it. Nice, nice. Any favorite songs in particular, or album? The whole Dark Side of the Moon album is is as amazing as you will think. Gotcha. Mm. Cool. How about we both go on to our number two, because we both tied with our number two this year. We had the same number two. Number two. Number two. Number two. Um, I, what was your number two? Well, I listened to it for a total of 1,436 minutes. How long did you listen to them? Oh, 1,094 minutes, Tim. I, you were obviously a bear fan. Bigger fan. Uh, and or just listen to more music than me. Or maybe this counted the times that you listened <laughs> on my playlist on the TV and it goes towards mine. Exactly. Yeah. Ex this is that's what happened to you. So this is basically basically your work playlist. Yeah. The, like the distribution of the numbers of songs. But but to be clear, though, I mean, I, I think, you know, at, these are probably the five core bands that spawned off the rest of my musical interest. Well, that's awesome, then. Yeah, so uh, we never announced the number two. Oh, right. No, Hermits, Hermits. No. Uh, <laughs> you can guess what it is. It is our friends. The Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah, as we've the lads from Liverpool. Yeah, as we've talked about on the show before, um, this year they released their last ever song, "Now and Then." Uh, "Now and Then," a song that was originally uh, supposed to debut with the third anthology album in the '90s. In a lot of ways, I'm glad we had to wait for that because it it hits a lot different now than it would have hit at that particular time. I think this was. As I mentioned uh, when we first talked about uh, Now and Then, this was the perfect way to kind of wrap things up. And more than anything, what I really, really like about what that song did for me is <clears throat> all the good memories it brought back. Mm. You know, because I first, you know, became a fan of the Beatles by, I mean, I was aware of them, but the first album I bought was when I was skipping to school one day and went to a pawn shop and saw they had a cassette for a dollar. I had a dollar in my pocket, bought it, went home, popped it into the tape player and heard Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just, it How was- How old were you again? Uh, probably like 15 or 16. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I was listening to it. It was, I liked it until a day in the night. 
uh, a day in the life the last song and then that's when i absolutely fell in love with that band oh that was the first time hearing a song to where my reaction was like they can do this in music <laughs> you know just with the whole orchestra you know going up and then down you know real real simplistic way to put how complicated that song was but um also too my mom helped fuel my beatles habit yeah. Because I wasn't living with her at the time. I had ran away from home uh, to live with my dad. Yeah, but, you know, I would visit on the weekend and, t you know, told her I was buying cassettes and stuff. And she would give me 20 bucks. And, you know, there was a place called Dodd's Record Shop I would go into. And for 20 bucks, I can walk out with two or three cassettes. So Beatles albums, even today, they're still going to be priced the same as a, a new album yeah. from a new band. So I was able to walk out with two. But it was real quickly, I was able to uh, listen to the whole Beatles. And, you know, again, I am th ultimately I'm thankful to re for that song now and then coming out this year because it was able to kind of rehash those memories. Yeah. And, you know, it is the last new thing we'll have from the Beatles. And it would have been sad if that was true in the 90s and not in 30 years later. Yeah. After we've also lost George. So that it is even more poignant, you know. And the lyrics, clearly about Yoko. And clearly going to be on that album um, that they did together. Double Fantasy. Double Fantasy. Was not meant to be about a group of friends or... But that's the beauty of the Beatles' music overall. Um, the, the fact that they did write songs that you could easily put in a different meaning. Um, take, for example, the fact that the last time John Lennon saw Paul McCartney in person, John Lennon apparently said something along the lines of, remember me now and then. Oh. Those words. And I told you, like, if you buy the single of now and then in the record shop on the back they have an art piece on there and that um was an art piece that george harrison bought in the 90s and um it sat it it sat like on a mantle somewhere and then they packed it but then a few years ago his wife olivia took it back out and hung it back up and then one day she got a call from paul mccartney and paul mccartney said you know hey you know we want your permission to be able to use george's part on us so we can finish the song now and then and then she looked at that art piece and you saw the picture of it and anybody who uh you know saw the picture of the or who has the single knows that that art piece had the words now and then on it and a picture of the beatles as as young men basically in their suits when they first made it big yep you know it was she felt it was like one of those ways that the spirit form of george was giving her giving her permission to say yes to allowing his part to be included on that song mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that's so sweet yeah 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 nice clothes for the band but just listen to their music like they again even though they're the biggest popular band in music history of the 20th century, like they were students of music as well. They didn't try to proclaim that they were creating something new. They just loved the music that they loved in terms of covering songs from different artists. And then they were able to create their own unique creations. I mean, they're, they're one of the best for a reason. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And my my appreciation of them has just grown and grown over the years. Exactly. Same here. So, any more thoughts on the Beatles? No, there's, there's enough to say about the Beatles. Yeah. How about I wrap it up with my number one? Okay. All right. Coming in at number one, for a total of 1,725 minutes, I listened to the Rolling Stones. Wow. Yeah. How much of that was the new album, do you think? Uh, a decent a decent amount. Uh, when that new song came, uh, when the song "Angry" came out, there was a time to where I would listen to it a lot. You know, on repeat. Like if I, you know, walk down to the store, it's one of those songs that there's a number of songs like like "Angry" that you know sound great when you're outside listening to music with like either headphones or earpods in. You know, because it feels like life is giving you a soundtrack, and then you feel like you know strutting. So maybe I don't know. But some music can do that. And then, I, I mean, that's why I love listening to music outside. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. And, you know, and I've said it before about the band, and I'll say it again, but this was the start of my musical journey, the Rolling Stones. And if you look back year upon year, I mean, their songs are littered throughout my, you know, top 100 list because whether it's Spotify or Apple, they will have a, a top 100 playlist that they'll create for you um, based on your music listening. But Apple goes one better. They do that throughout the year and update it every week. Mm, nice. You know, so... Rolling Stones, number one for me. Uh, nice. And I know with their new album, you're like, no, not my number one. Maybe a number two. <laughs> Maybe number two. Yeah. I don't know. I love the Rolling Stones. I don't know what you're talking about. I love them. Um, my number one was Girl Talk, a uh, DJ, mm. similar to LCD Sound System. Uh, Girl Talk is a DJ. And I've seen them uh, at... The Crystal Ballroom here in Portland, Oregon, mm. uh, which was super fun. It was one of the first things I went to after the pandemic sort of went away and things were more relaxed. It hadn't gone away, but things were more relaxed. And it was such a fun show. They had bubble cannons. He had, or they had like, I don't like 40 dancers on this relatively small stage. And they were all different body types and all different, you know, colors. And it was just really a great show. And they have um, an album that I particularly like that I listen to a lot that I probably won't be able to remember the name of. <laughs> That's how it starts. No. Oh. That's the one. Oh. That's how it starts. That one? Yeah. I don't know. I've never heard that one. I know. I'll play it for you sometime if I can find it. Okay. <laughs> but I've listened to it over a thousand times. Well, there you go. Yeah. That is the beauty of music, folks. That's why I love, at the end of the year, talking about this. Mm -hmm. Because music tastes are, you know, there may be some similarities. There are always going to be similarities along the way. But even with similarities, there may be enjoyment for very different reasons. Absolutely. And being able to enjoy other, you know, what other people listen to, even if you only listen to it once, it, it allows you to get in another person's head, you know, for a small amount of time. And that, in my opinion, you know, is not a bad thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Any more thoughts on your music this year? 
I'll just say that I had a really good time listening to music. Music helped me through difficult times. It was my companion during fun times and adventures. And sometimes lover. Thank you, Prince. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Prince. Yeah, that's all. Music is wonderful. Exactly, folks. And Christmas is wonderful as well. The promise of a short episode didn't come true, as I suspected. But that is not... I mean, yeah, if you listen to this whenever, we appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And we wish you a happy Christmas and a Merry New Year. Exactly. Exactly. Another another year in the books that we're doing this. This is amazing. Yeah. Yep. Next week, when you talk to us, folks, it will be the first episode of Friends Talking Nerdy in 2024. Big 2-4. Yeah, we don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but hopefully we do by the time we record. <laughs> I'm sure we will by the time we record. Yeah, yeah. At least we're not going to do what I tried to do, what we did with the first anniversary episode that we did. We all got drunk and then recorded. Yeah, that's really bad. Yeah, it was <laughs> a lot of the audio quality wise. A lot of the early episodes are bad. Oh, they're so bad you can barely hear them. It was a learning. You could you could barely force yourself to listen to them. <laughs> it was. It's been a learning experience the whole way. I I've been very open about that. I mean, I, I will advance or decline at this art form at my own speed. Yeah, and that's absolutely fine. Yep, exactly. Any other any other words for our lovely listeners at home? Nope. All right. Thank you all for listening on Christmas Day. Um, if you were listening on the day this episode drops, if not, happy Thursday. I don't know whenever the fuck you're listening to this. <laughs> Each Monday, we'll have something in this podcast space to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you adieu. Night, folks. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.